Welcome to BCC's second edition of Online Church. Boy, this is different. You know, there was no seminary class that we had on how to do ministry without personal contact with people. Uh, there was no book written about how to do church during an epidemic. But I can tell you what, this uh, series has uh, still fit, even though back when we started 1 Corinthians, uh, this message would have been titled, A Different Influence. Now I feel like we should call it A Different Influenza, <laughs> because we have never seen such a thing in our history until now of an invading virus coming in that in which half of the world's population has just uh, stowed away in its home, crawled up there and washed hands and disinfected everything, and basically just shut out from society, at least for a moment. But we're not crawling up into a hole uh, here for your church. Let me give you an idea of some things that have been going on recently. A single mom who was about to lose her home received workers and we provided finances so that she could stay in it. Our elderly or senior age uh, people have been receiving help. Um, uh, just got a call this week and someone said how appreciative they were that a BCC uh, woman had come over and helped her. Of course, the coronavirus uh, exposure was not in play, but we're working with those in local uh, community officials and all to be able to uh, establish this information by which those willing to help can be linked together with those that are in need of help. And that is talking about real people getting real help uh, through your church. So by being generous to BCC, that is what you support and you're a part of. Um, frankly, it's a little hard for me to do this online thing because uh, I'm used to the real live setting. So talking to real people in the same room. And I've been kind of like insecure about this thing. And uh, my wife's probably picked up on my unpredictable moods uh, lately. And uh, she's tried to, you know, call me as it's like, oh, you know, just doing these recordings only and how different it is. And she'd be like, don't worry, just let them record you. You don't have to be likable or smart or charismatic. Just be yourself. I guess that helps. Um, now, you, you know Julie, you know that she would not be that way. She is always supportive of me and always backing me to my undeserved pleasure. But I did want to talk about being charismatic and doing Christianity that way because it's brought up today in today's text. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 14 is the section that we'll be in. Paul begins addressing being spiritual in chapter 12, so we'll start there. And you might remember from earlier teaching that these people that he's addressing, they were not as spiritual as they thought that they were. Uh, instead, of, they were more worldly. In fact, too much like society, yet they were gifted people. They were um, not as sensitive to others as they should have been, but they did possess gifts in abundance. And I think it was because they lacked spiritual maturity that there was such ignorance or confusion surrounding their exercise of spiritual gifts. Charisma is the grace or free gift word in the original. So charismata refers to the uh, empowered way that a spirit-filled believer is to be able to serve the church and carry out God's work through his or her life. And so we generally think of charismatic as being a really charming and attractive personality or a religious person. We think of them having a really excited or ecstatic manner. But whether you conclude, oh, that's me or that is not me, then you need to know that everyone is as charismatic as anyone else according to uh, Scripture. Let me show you. Chapter 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you have Jesus in your life, then you have the Holy Spirit. When that took place, you can tell in verse uh, 12, it says, For in or by one Spirit... 
we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. I mean, that sounds like what he wrote in Galatians 3, 26 and 27. says, through faith, you're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. And for all who have been baptized, that you have clothed yourself or put on Christ. His spirit is a gift to you that you receive in that belief and obedience. And now that third person of Godhead, he gifts you, he charisma you with uh, gift. And it lists these. As you kind of keep rolling down that Christians have these things uh, and you can see what they have. And Paul mentions that no one has all the gifts and possesses them all. And there might have been some kind of ranking of spiritual gifts that the Corinthians were desiring, but the apostles' aim and ours should be about focusing on something even greater. I mean, he's going to go on chapter 14 about prophecy and speaking in tongues or glossolalia and interpretation of tongues. But what he pins between these two sections of spiritual gifts from 12 and 14 is that very famous love chapter. And the one that we would know well, but granted, right from the start, we get this with God's love being the most excellent way. And it makes you wonder, why would Christians then argue or get confused about the gifts and um, bicker over them? Because all are charismatic. We have spiritual, special gifts from the Spirit that is for good. And we're to build others up for the good and to help them. Everything good that we have comes from God. I mean, we know that. I mean, like, if uh, you live in a good country, thank God for that. If you have good parents or you have good kids, then, you know, be thankful because not everybody has that. If you have a good mind or creative talent, then you know that's not something you came up with yourself. Give God that credit. Everything that is good, good church, you have good pastors, it's a God thing. We give him the credit. We have no reason really to boast about anything, any possession, any ability, any person, except to boast in the Lord. He's the owner giver, and we are these manager stewards, and we must just use whatever God has given us to honor him and serve the people that he has put in our life. If anyone uses their gift in a way that tears others down or inflates themselves or divides people, that's doing it wrong. Now, I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time with this, so you're going to need to read through these chapters, and it will give you the right perspective in the use of spiritual gifts. All the gifts are important, not to be neglected, but they are not the most important thing. That has to do with what's in chapter 13. You have that? Verse 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Symbols were used in some cultic circles in pagan worship. Gongs or these um, bronze jars were used as resonators. They were kind of like um, early sound amplifiers. So those orators around Corinth or maybe the talking heads of today, um, they really illustrate what it would be like. Without love, our God-given gifts just become loud, lifeless noise machines. Verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now wait, didn't Jesus tell us that he wants to have the kind of faith that would move mountains? Yes, but not without love. Even if one knew everything, like revelation, the full unveiling mystery of God's plan for the world, yet you missed what is at the core, it's meaningless. The plan falls apart without love being at the center. That accomplishes nothing. And so if the Corinthians or Iowans or Illinoisans think that you get closest to God through a, a spiritual experience of uh, speaking in tongue or prophetic utterance, think again. 
Because he's not just suggesting, saying like, well, now if love's not in play, it's not, it's not going to be as helpful. No. I mean, he absolutely just says that if love is lacking, he gets completely nullifies whatever you have going on. Cancels them out. Even in the case of extreme sacrifice or benevolence. Because maybe you're one that's saying, hey, I'm going to get out there. I'm going to take the risk and, and help someone out like an elderly person. Well, listen to the last part. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul did, did give up everything that he had going for himself to follow Christ. But without love, it would have been no benefit to him. Being totally devoted is great, but it has to be selfless devotion to count. If we do a good thing for self-promotion, it's going to end up like a big fat zero. You know, as our church has involved itself in the community to meet needs, we don't promote ourselves. We don't call up the news to get a photo op, and we don't stick our t-shirts in people's face. To count as a sacrifice, it cannot be for ourselves, but for others. Because love has to be directed outward, not inward. And we get that from the description of love that we find in verses 4 through 8. Picture it as it flows out of your life. Love is patient. As in, you show self-restraint in your dealings with others. With God motivating you and your impulses and outbursts are kept under control, waiting on God's timing, you're not throwing in the towel. Love is kind. You're merciful. It's not an inward feeling only. It's evident outwardly. People will speak of how useful you are to them, being so considerate. And because you love, you're not going to envy anyone else's success. No holding grudges. You're not petty. You're content and happy about their accomplishments. And since love does not boast, you don't care about promoting yourself. You love to give them credit. That's humility. Love is not proud, so you don't assert yourself arrogantly or put yourself out there as better than others. You don't brag about what you do. Well, I do this and I do that for them. No, you're not overbearing. You're not rude. No dishonor comes out of your mouth. You're gracious with everyone. You want to build them up. Since love is not self-seeking, you'll think of others first. You'll give them first choice or preferred treatment. You don't insist on your own way or your rights. With love driving you, you're not easily angered, it says. So others do not describe you as irritable or touchy. <laughs> huh? It takes a lot to get you mad, but you are quick to listen. <laughs> because you love them, you'll not record the wrongs that they have done and hold it against them. You are anxious to forgive. Revenge just doesn't feel right to you and you don't let resentment grow in your heart. Since love does not delight in evil, you cannot take joy in wrongdoing. You hate gossip and slander and any misfortune that falls on others. You do rejoice with the truth, so when good choices are made and everyone is honest and willing to be held accountable for their words and actions, you are thrilled. And with love, you're always willing to protect people, defending them when they're in the right, shielding them when ugly things about them come out. You hear and bear with them, believe in them. You're always willing to trust again. Now, you're not gullible, but neither are you going to think the worst about a person. As far as you and they are concerned, you keep faith that everything will work out for the good. You always hope, never giving up, looking forward, refusing to count any failures as final. 
The love in you always perseveres, making you this faithful friend, steadfast, able to endure the stuff they throw at you. And then finally, you fail in many ways, yes, but the love you have for them never fails. You're loyal to them. Your love for them will not end. I mean, another kind of love <laughs> that could be tainted with our own desires or emotional attachment and excitement, weighing, you know, how much give and take there is in the relationship. The love from God is not like that at all. We operate by what values them and the respect and the way we esteem them unselfishly, making sacrifices so that they can receive what they need or what is best for them. See, outward, not inward focus. Now, I know that you've been practicing social distancing, but it doesn't have to be relational distancing. You know, this break from our normally hectic schedule means you have time to practice love. You know, you can make that call. You can send that message. You can pin that letter for someone who needs it. And unless you have the spiritual gift of healing COVID-19, it might feel like you've had to park your spiritual gift for a while. But love doesn't fail to move. Love acts on behalf of another. It's at work in you and through you. You know, the most debated section comes in this last part with reference to the supernatural or relevatory gifts going away. Verse 8. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, what is the perfect? Some say it refers to the completion of the Bible. Others say that's when Christ returns to earth. Or still others say that it has to do with one's maturity, since he goes on with the analogy about a child becoming a man. And the word perfect does mean complete, fully mature, grown, lacking in nothing. But which it don't know. I mean, that's why it's arguable. But the one thing that's for sure is that most things will not last. One day they will come to an end. Spiritual things, charisma, gifts will one day expire. But love abides forever. When the allowable social gathering numbers lowered, or people were asked to stay home, most hurry out to the stores to stock up on items during the time, or you did like the Scots and you decided to go through your own supply at home, and almost every item that you buy at the grocery store has what on it? An expiration date, like this barbecue sauce that's October 2020. Other things expire sooner. Potato chips, they're going to go a little bit sooner. This one is um, April, so a couple months, better get this thing through, or, you know, they'll be turning stale. And then even more quickly, an egg, now you better think in like two, three weeks tops, you better get through that. And then you might find something like we did, and that would be like uh, the banana peppers. Now, these uh, have a date that is in um, uh, August of 19th, so <laughs> they're like six months out, and you're like, oh, yeah, who's going to eat that? And I know what you're thinking, like, oh, Tim, he'll eat anything. But um, that expiration just kind of teaches you all this stuff. It's almost like everything seems to have like those dates. And then you have the item that does not go out of date. Ah, kind of strange, isn't it, that the toilet paper roll that everyone went crazy on to go get the one thing that doesn't expire. And I know what you're thinking. You know, I might be willing to part with this. So, uh, I don't know, 10 bucks, call the office, and we'll deal and uh, see what you might need I can help you with. All these things teach a lesson about the expiration date, that these things go out, they pass away. And the point is that the best things in life have 
expiration date on, including gifted, high-powered charisma. It will pass away, but not love. Even if you lump in with it those other two important foundational things in our life with God and others, the concluding verse says, so faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love does not expire. God's love is forever. Are you strong with God's love in you? You know, I was reading through those descriptions. Did the picture fit you? We need more than spiritual experiences and gifts. We need the Spirit's eternal fruit to come alive and to abide in us. You know, we may not be in the same room, but the Lord is present with us all, so we can call on him right now and come to him, pursue his greatest gift together. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we praise and celebrate you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we love you. But we confess we cannot do things right or make things right without you. Pour into us your unending love. We need it. and We want to share it with others. I accept your loving sacrifice for my sins. Thank you for dying on that cross. Thank you for rising from the dead. Take charge of my life, Lord. Teach me your way, Spirit of God. Fill me. Move me. Use me for your glory. For yours, O oh God, is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever through Christ we pray. Amen. I'd like to lead you in taking the Lord's Supper. If you've not already done so, please go now and gather the types of items for communion. What Jesus took when he first taught his disciples and how to remember him, bread and fruit from the vine. You know, most people are remembered through a visual, like a headstone in a cemetery or an heirloom passed down to generations. But the problem with those things is they can become displaced or that you have to go to the same place to be able to sink in those memories. But not Jesus. At the Last Supper, he might have anticipated the day in which half the world would be stuck at home instead of a church building on a Sunday. So he gave us the simplest items to help us remember his life and death. It's like almost everyone has something like this available. The bread, as he broke it and gave it to his disciples to eat. Please just break yours now and make sure everyone has some. It represents the body of Christ broken for you. The juice, as it was poured out, and he encouraged each of his disciples to drink of it. And we'll see that everyone at your table there can drink what you have. It represents his shed blood. And while you eat and drink, take in this visual of God's love. God has shown us his love by sending his only son into the world so that we could have life through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. His death paid for us that we might have life. How meaningful and powerful. So after you partake...
have someone pray and spend some time thinking about the body and blood of the Lord and examine yourself before him and then rejoin us for worship.